I'm just going with the flow. So, You're listening to Three Wise Truck Guys from Key Advisors. All right. Well, welcome to the to the uh, reboot of the Three Wise Truck Guys. This is a reboot for us. We haven't done this for oh over a year, but we've had a lot of listeners that have asked, hey, when's the next time you're going to do that podcast? We really like listening to that. And so here you go. I hope that you're uh, people of your word that you listen to our podcast. We're going to be back on the air and doing this on a very regular basis. So welcome again to my good friends, Mark Martensik and John Whitnell. Welcome, guys, to uh, to our meeting. Mark, how you doing? I'm doing great. I survived all the COVID stuff. Doing great. Good to be back with you and John. And uh, looking forward to doing these on a regular basis again. So, Mark, just as an aside, you talked about COVID. Did you ever get the, the COVID? Yeah, I had it uh, once. My wife had it twice, but it wasn't bad for us. So we've been sh- vaccinated and booster shots and taking care of our old bodies. So There you go. Well, greetings to you again, Mark. Great to have you back here. John, it's nice to have you back as well. Heidi Ho, Keith. Uh, vaccinated, boosted, and once with COVID. So uh, hopefully uh, that's the end of that nonsense. But uh, good to have the team back together. Happy to be here. Yeah, so great having the two of you back. And I think I'm likewise uh, vaccinated, boosted, and once hit. So uh, great, great to be back. Hey, we've got two special guests joining us today. Uh, Our topic for the day is parts department performance and the process and procedures to to move performance for a parts department to best in class, not just for one dealership rooftop, but across the dealership group. And we're not going to focus just on uh, one area of the parts department. We're going to talk about quite a few areas. So I said, we've got two special guests joining us. I think they're going to be really uh, exciting for our listeners. Um, they're both very, very smart and excellent at what they do. And I think it's going to be a, a great learning experience. I think it's going to be a great opportunity for people to hear some things that really work. And um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun with both of them. But, you know, bef- before we get to both of them and we start talking about parts, we started a tradition of, uh, of, of talking about what's the best thing that we had observed in the last month and what's something that we thought, man, that, that there's a big opportunity there um, when, we're, when we're with a, at a, a dealership or a dealer or somebody at a, at, in that environment. John, I'm going to turn it to you first. What's what's something that you've seen? Certainly, we've got longer than a month look back now, but something that you've seen that you said, wow, that's that's really, really good. You know, uh, Keith, uh, I, I've got an obvious one on both of those. So uh, thanks for the question. You know, I remind you, the one uh, Tom Watson, the iconic uh, leader of IBM once upon a time said, let's never let a perfectly good crisis go to waste. And that, to me, that's what dealers have done the last two or three years. You know, uh, we've seen the OEMs exert their heavy hand over dealer parts purchasing behavior for a long, long time. And to me, the best thing that I think that I've seen in the last uh, year and a half, however long it's been, is you know dealers really have had to expand their supply base reach to make sure that they have parts on the shelf, take care of their customers. And, and that's had 
that's had customer service implications, but that's also had some pretty exciting implications on parts margins uh, based on what I've seen. So that's been a, that's been a big change and that's uh, really been a good thing as far as I'm concerned. Uh, on the other end of the stick, uh, you know, everybody I know has had a really good 2021 and 2022 is shaping up to be a fabulous year, Keith. Uh, just extraordinary P&L numbers for almost every dealer that I talk to. But the flip side of that is what are we going to do in 2023? And I haven't seen a lot of creative thinking. I haven't seen a lot of good work that people are doing to get ready for 2023 and perhaps some of the unpleasantness that might accompany it in terms of inflation and, uh, you know, that recession where it keeps coming around. I don't know that's going to cripple our industry, but those are things that you have to be thinking about as a dealer principal right now. And uh, and I, I don't know that I've seen some really good thinking on that. So that'd, that'd be how I'd respond to the best and uh, and the biggest opportunity. Getting ready Interesting. for 2023. Interesting. Thanks, John. Appreciate that. And I, I think that recession word just, it kind of is keeps moving three months down too. You know, that, uh, oh, we're not quite there yet. Now we're stagnating. But I think that that view of what's going to happen certainly has to, I like your term creative, right? Yeah. How, how are you going to view this? Mark, how about you? What's something that, that you've seen in, since the last time we were together that you thought, man, that's just great. And then uh, on the flip side is like, yeah, that might need some work. Well, I think uh, I'm going to jump on John's uh, uh, topic. Okay, the supply chain issues certainly have affected uh, service departments as well as parts departments. And the ability to, for the first time in a long time, okay, uh, for parts and service to work together on this problem are the good things I'm saying. To communicate better, talk about alternative uh, parts that we could use, talk about which parts we should be protecting in inventory, uh, just kind of looking to the future and, and working together on sourcing those parts and so forth. Um, the Obviously, that makes a difference in the total fixed operations gross profit because you got to make the labor along with the parts if it's on a repair order. So uh, the flip side of that is a few dealers haven't done that and they're still fighting between parts and service and, and pointing fingers between parts and service which causes not just parts uh, poor sales, but service production. Uh, it takes a big hit as well as how long the truck is down in the dealership. Um, and that's a, a big problem for their customers. So, Interesting. I, it's, you've, you've taken both sides of that, Mark, the, uh, from the parts side. Um, you know, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, pile on to the to the parts discussion i think what's interesting and we've got some of our customers and like i say we've got one of our guests is 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 one of our customers but the as they've installed the discipline of of running a parts department really really managing and leading a parts department the results that come out of that especially as as the supply chain issues took place and continue to take place just the the performance changes that, that it's brought to to that business. On the flip side of it, uh, John, I'm going to go into to an area that's near and dear to your heart, and and you know we saw, and I'll let you comment on this, John, to the exact time frame, but what maybe 15, 18 months of of an appreciating asset with with the used truck inventory, and that that was a that was an inventory of valuation that that uh that went 
up, up, and up. And all of a sudden, it kind of stopped. And, and um, the, the shock of, for some people, that it actually stopped going up has, has been interesting to me and some of the reactions to it. So, uh, you know, John, you talked about the creativity part of it. I think that's something that's, um, that's still interesting to me of, of how people get creative with, with, this, uh, with this used truck event. All right. So, Mark, John, appreciate those comments. I, I, uh, I'm going to pile on to, um, first of all, from a good standpoint in terms of the, the parts department piece, I think what we've seen in terms of the disciplines that have been brought to these operations of really trying to get the right part on the shelf in the right time, uh, not overextending themselves with, with uh, too much inventory, and really focusing on making this inventory work in turn, you know, the ones that have adopted this, this discipline of doing it have really seen fantastic results, even where this, the supply chain issues have been in place. I will say, John, that on the, on the could be improved side, or maybe, maybe uh, opportunity side, um, you know, for about 15, 18 months, I think, and you would know, John, much more than I do, but you know, we, we dealt with an appreciating asset on the used truck side. And all of a sudden that kind of stopped there in May, May or June, especially on the sleeper side. And, and just some of the gyrations that have gone on since May or June of people trying to react to it and say, well, I'm not going to be in the used truck business anymore and, and dumping out of it and, uh, um, you know, take, taking some fairly big hits and not really adapting. And John, you use that term creativity earlier when talking about recession you know how do we get creative and really look at this used truck department is not just a not just an 18 month experiment but uh it become parting of our everyday part of our everyday lives of of operating and operating it profitably so you know that's the one i still see as a huge opportunity in this industry short here but i'm a little out of step with uh with the industry right now in terms of where the used truck market's at I know uh, Roger Gilroy and Lucas Steele like to kind of paint a gloomy picture, and and there certainly has been some softening in the sleeper sector. There's there's no question about that. But your over your pricing in the sleeper sector is still really terrific. And if you're buying and selling in the same 90 day windows, you can still make money selling used sleeper tractors. Uh, Keith, the, the the used medium truck sector and the used day cab sector, the used vocational sector. I mean, there's still big money to be made out there. So if you've if you've made a decision to get out of the used truck business, uh, you got spooked by the industry publications, and you've really haven't helped yourself or your business. Yeah, you know, I think that's interesting. You talk about that 90 day sector, and that that is still the same message that you've preached. We've we've preached for year after year after year. Something to be said for consistency. I, I think, think that comes with getting old, though. I, okay, think, it, so. I think it probably does. Yeah. Yeah. I think it probably does. Well, hey, thanks, guys, for your comments. I I, uh, I appreciate it. I always find your uh, insight really, really interesting and, and uh, thought-provoking and educational. So let's turn our attention to the topic of the day. So we're going to talk about the parts department um, and, in particular, parts department performance, inventory and margins, maybe a little discussion on productivity of, of personnel. But I'm going to throw this one out to each one of you. I don't care which one of you. Uh, starts with it, but what is your, what's the two of your guys' experience with how a parts department can impact the dealership, both positively and negatively? And I'll let either one of you take that. 
Mark, why don't you go ahead and tee it up first? I'll follow up. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump right on that. Obviously, uh, uh, with uh, total absorption being a, a key to running a dealership today, every department matters, and, and parts is a big contributor to that. Okay, and parts affects service dramatically. Um, if you remember the six-minute rule we talked about a year ago or so, uh, you know, as an example, if I make 73 cents uh, on a dollar's worth of labor, uh, and 28 cents on a uh, uh, corresponding part because of my labor parts to labor ratio. I'm making over a dollar in gross profit for the dealership for every dollar we produce in service. And we can't do that without the parts department's involvement. We can't fix trucks without parts. Uh, so uh, it it's key to everything a dealership does, particularly the total absorption portion of, of what we're trying to accomplish. Uh, John, what do you think? You know, um, Keith, I'm going to give you a little different perspective on this. I'm in the middle of three deals right now where dealer A is trying to buy dealer B. And I, I just did a little math, okay? And you have to kind of you kind of have to uh, rationalize some of these numbers because new truck margins are so terrific today and used truck margins are so terrific today. But if you, if you back those down to where they might be in a historical sense, you know, the parts department accounts for somewhere around 45% of the total gross profit uh, 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 developed in a dealership, okay? So this is something that's pretty goddamn important in terms of trying to figure out how we're going to make money. And Mark, you'd, you'd approached it from the uh, absorption, which is, which, is, which is absolutely correct. Just from looking at it, if you're trying to sell your dealership and position yourself for an exciting multiple in the marketplace, well, you better have a parts department that can, uh, that has has uh, better than ATD average gross margin performance and a trend that looks uh, a growth trend, both in terms of volume and margin that looks exciting. So, John, I'm going to ask you another question to go along with that. You talked about the buy-sell piece of this, and, and I know from your background um, of, of doing deals and, and transitioning um, ownership and things like that, from a standpoint of, of – when a dealership is looking to sell and they don't have a strong parts department, whether it's margin, volume, inventory performance, lots of obso, if you will, how does that impact maybe not the transaction itself, but you know, when 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 looking at the business and putting together the deal and you see that, hey, this guy's got twenty-three percent of his of his inventory aged out over twelve months. What is that how does that impact this deal? You know, so Keith, you're looking at a couple of different things. You're looking at the trends and you're also looking at in a relative sense, how do they perform in versus their peers, whether it's that metric or any other metric on the parts department that you might want to be thinking about. And if the trend line is positive, they're growing, they're demonstrating growth. And now we have to kind of frame that they're demonstrating growth in excess of inflation, right? We need real growth. We don't need uh, inflation driven growth, right? So, if, if you if the trend line looks good and your absolute performance versus ATD metrics or key advisor metrics uh, is is exciting, you know you've positioned yourself to uh, to command an exciting multiple. Everybody's got their own different way of cooking the soup in terms of how they value a deal, et cetera, et cetera. But you know the reality is parts growth, parts gross margins drives bottom line PBT, 
And PBT is is what everybody's looking at to try and figure out what this business is really worth. And if you've got exciting growth and if you've got uh, exciting margins, you, you've moved into a strata where you can command a higher multiple. And it's as simple as that. Very good. Well, you know, parts, depart, uh, parts department performance in terms of inventory and margin and, and volume growth, bottom line profitability for the parts department, how it impacts the service workflows and so forth. It's always been a strength of, of key advisors. We've probably participated in, I don't know, probably 250 or 300 physical inventories over the course of 25 years. We've dealt a lot in terms of, of working with dealerships to improve inventory performance, turns, fill rate, uh, certainly a lot of work on, on margin improvement and so forth. <clears throat> and that education, that intervention, um, we've always done well at. And that had always been an on-site type of engagement for us for probably 20, gosh, 24 years from 1996 up until March 2020. And then uh, all of a sudden March 2020 hit with something called the pandemic. And you know, we, we as a company had to, to adjust and transition that popular word pivot, if you will. And uh, first of all, for us, it impacted our, our profitability and, and future performance. Certainly it impacted the dealership um, from a supply chain, supply chain standpoint, uh, what was happening in the market. Um, you know, just the whole thing got disrupted. And our team started to see that there was a, a possibility here that we could assist dealerships to um, address potential cash uh, issues, cash performance needs, or not needs, but, but opportunities, margin performance issues. And certainly, again, because we had done most of our work on site, we couldn't travel at that point in time. So we needed to, to uh, look at ourselves and say, how do we start to position ourselves and help with our help our customers improve their performance and do it in a way that we can do a lot of it, a lot of it virtually. So Amber Kelzer, our director of business intelligence, and I started talking about this in late March, April of 2020. I turned the, the solution or the not solution, I turned the problem over to Amber and she came up with a solution and uh, I'm going to let her tell you about that solution here in a minute. But first of all, I just want to introduce Amber Kelzer to our audience. Amber is our Director of Business Intelligence. And uh, Amber, welcome to us. And if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about yourself and um, how we started with this thing called a parts inventory health check. Well, hello, and uh, thank you for having me on today. I really appreciate it. Um, a little bit about me. Uh, you call me the director of business intelligence. That is technically my title. Um, I would tell you that the one thing I can do is solve a problem and find the root cause of that problem. And when we were talking about parts and we were talking about cash and dealerships and it was 2020 and everything was up in the air and there was a lot of anxiety about um, what was going to happen. Um, we know that the number one investment in terms of cash that a dealership makes is their parts inventory. Um, and so as we started looking at that, we said, maybe that's the department to start in. When we're looking at uh, total absorption and we're looking at how much gross profit a dealership makes, to Mark and John's point, that's the largest impact a dealership will have. Um, 
And so we said, how do we measure the parts department? And that's really where uh, a parts inventory health check came from. And really it's a parts health check, not just an inventory health check. Um, what it is, is it's a, a one-time measurement of the inventory um, against what would be an ideal inventory. So um, what do you currently have on the shelves versus what is the last 12 months rolling demand say you should have on the shelf? How do you right size that inventory? We take a look at um, your pricing setups, both the controllable and the non-controllable sides of that. Um, how is the structure in your DMS built? As well as how are we getting in our own way? Are we doing too many overrides or discounts from the counter? And how's that equating to the margin you're seeing today? And where would you like to be in the future? Um, we look at a lot of the routines of a parts manager in terms of just daily reconciliation items to really move the dial forward. Um, and we present those findings, that analysis um, to a dealer group and pinpoint the largest opportunities. And then from there, you're just mining the gold, figuring out how to move the dial um, and really move the momentum forward in that department. So Amber, okay, I know Bruckner was our, our pilot, okay, and this parts inventory health uh, check, okay, and certainly Bruckner's been a long time customer, good relationship with us. Did that play a part in it? And uh, maybe it's time to introduce our guest from I mean, when you're wanting to try something new, um, it does it does pay dividends to go to somebody you have a great relationship with and say, would you like to come along with me? Would you like to give it a try? Um, and Bruckner was more than willing. They wanted to see improvement in their part side. And um, they came along for the very first parts inventory health check. And Cody Miller is our guest today as well. He is the parts director of Bruckner Truck. And he was in on it from the very beginning. Cody, welcome to the three wise truck guys. Welcome. Welcome. Hey, thank you. And uh, I'm... welcome, Cody. You are officially the smartest guy on the call. Welcome, right. Cody. Well, I'm both uh, humbled and honored to be uh, with such great company, right? With uh, Mark, John, Keith Ely, you know, kind of legendary in the business. And, uh, the legend of Keith Ely lives on. Absolutely. <laughs> Not much of a legend there, John, but we'll take what yeah. we can get. So. Yeah, I can remember as an early parts manager, we used to use a form that was the Kia form that we did our inventory reconciliation with. And uh, little did I know that Kia, K-E-A, stood for Keith Ely and Associates. So, yeah, we've had a long-time relationship and uh, have always appreciated uh, what value he's brought to our dealerships. Well, thank you, Cody. Appreciate that. I'm, uh, you know, a willing participant in this. Nothing was uh, shoved on us, but uh, as Amber mentioned, you know, we uh, look at parts departments, I think, a lot of times as a uh, necessary evil. Uh, myself and my role, uh, my history with, uh, with this company, you know, I, obviously I don't see us as an evil in any way, shape, or form, but, uh, you know, there's always room for improvement. Um, I kind of live by a 1% philosophy that uh, if I can become 1% better in any area, in any kind of measurable uh, time period, uh, then so much the better. So, you know, I think uh, uh, this uh, parts inventory health check has been both beneficial to us financially, uh, but it's also kind of engaged our local parts managers, myself as leadership, uh, others in our organization looking at the parts department as a whole and how it is such a large contribution to the overall health of, of the dealerships. 
So, Amber, if I could, Cody's uh, laying awake at night staring at the ceiling. He's probably got a half a dozen problems that are causing him to lose sleep. When, when you guys thought about this project initially, how did you frame it out? How did you know where to begin? You know, what, what problems were you, were you really uh, trying to solve? Tell me about the beginning and, and framing this project out so that we could work together with Bruckner and start moving forward. Well, I would say dealerships, businesses in general exist to be profitable. Um, and when it came to the parts department, we were looking at what are the ways to improve profitability or what are the ways to reduce um, the cash investment in the inventory without negatively impacting performance. Um, and so we, we just measured six ways from Sunday, um, inventory performance, margin performance, and so on. And what we found is that overall for Bruckner, there was a beautiful opportunity to right size the inventory by paying attention to what parts had demand, what didn't. Um, working through the um, obsolete process and making sure that we were doing our returns in a timely manner to keep our inventory um, fresh, new, and correct. Uh, while, while we did that, it actually shrank and yet fill rate went up. Um, and honestly, I'd have to say Cody is a big piece of that. Um, if you don't know much about Cody or about Bruckner, um, they have a very special leadership team and a very wonderful culture that allows change that almost embraces change on a daily basis. Thank you. And speaking to that, you know, the, the, the leaders of the company, obviously uh, we, and let me go on record as saying we are not a nonprofit organization. We are here for profit. Uh, but you know, if, if uh, things are identified to become uh, not only more profitable, but just better in general, uh, you know, things are, maybe a little bit easier. Uh, people spend less time going through processes and, and more time dedicated to customer service than, than so much the better. And what a perfect time to do it than when, you know, this pandemic started. Uh, we, we saw the downturn that everybody did. Uh, as an essential business, we were, were open with face shields and plexiglass in between us and our customers. And, you know, the, the demand was still there, but at a lesser level. Uh, it was, I think, a perfect opportunity to take the time to actually define our processes and become better at each and every one of them. So, uh, so Amber, though, help, give me something I can sink my teeth into, okay? Uh, so we, we, we kind of started walking down the road on a project, and, and a lot of what we're talking about, you know, improving fill rate and improving customer service is sort of mom and apple pie. At some point in time, after you'd kind of thought about this a little bit, though, you guys started moving down the road on this project. How did you decide where to start? How did you decide which metrics that you wanted to focus in on? How did you know when we were really starting to move towards a business solution that was going to add value to the Bruckner business? I would say, again, we just measured it. Um, the largest opportunity showed up in terms of right-sizing the inventory. Um, and knowing as we did that, that we would see an increase in fill rate, our fill rate, um, our fill rate, Cody's fill rate, my apologies, I will not take credit for the work that you and your team um, did. Uh, but their fill rate and their parts investment, um, I would say, Cody, eight months, nine months into the original project back in 2020, um, we saw a seven and a half point increase in, sorry, a four and a half point increase in fill rate and a two and a half million dollar reduction right. in inventory. Absolutely. And that's even with all the, the backward parts out there, right? But uh, John, to, to answer that, you know, 
we didn't know what was the first item that needed attacking, yeah. right? But, you know, I, I think I have said this before to Amber, maybe to Keith, but I feel like I am a steward of the company's money. Uh, you know, this inventory has been entrusted to me and, you know, finding an opportunity to reduce that inventory while in, improving order fill, fill rate, front counter, back counter, all areas uh, is paramount uh, to my stewardship of that money. And, uh, you know, a lot of dealers, I think, uh, you know, they, they let the autopilot button try to drive their business. A lot of us are managed by third parties that replenish inventories. So it's very easy to lose sight of the fact that, um, you know, dealer principals and management of dealer groups, they own that inventory and they should be the ones that are, that are driving that narrative as much as possible. Yeah. You know, I, I remember when we started this Amber with Cody and I, I, and uh, with Chip, I think one of the conversations was built around the vendor managed inventory at that time and, and whether or not that was a, a wise idea, I guess, Cody, um, if that's the right term for Bruckner's from the steward aspect of, of that asset and, and um, how to, Amber used the term right size, you know, what the, to right size that inventory. And, uh, you know, I think that was a big topic of discussion at that time. So Amber and, and Cody, uh, I'm going to steal a line from John here. Okay. Uh, give me something I can sink my teeth into specifically what, once you've done the analysis, uh, obviously it was, uh, 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 reducing inventory, reducing obsolescence and increasing fill rate. How did you get there? What steps did you take? How did you decide what steps to take? What was the and process? Mark, just to, to, again, to make this actionable, uh, the, the metric we've been kind of focusing about here is, is fill rate. I think, Amber, we increased our fill rate 4.5%? Initially. Initially. Okay. So now to Mark's question, okay, you know, did we do that by outsourcing, uh, broadening our supply base? Help, help. We focused in on the metric. Give me some insight into the process and the options that we evaluated. Help me, uh, give me something to sink my teeth into here. Um, I would say there are really two main pieces. One is we looked at what the stock controls were. And then the second piece was what we call a daily track um, for parts managers, which is really daily reconciliation routines um, inside of the inventory, just daily touches to make sure that anything going in or out of that inventory is as accurate as possible. Cody, do you remember which one we actually implemented first or did we do them at the same time? Well, they ran fairly concurrent, but I believe stock control was uh, definitely number one item uh, to take the system off of autopilot and engage people. You know, there, there's a lot of metrics that uh, are created. They're, they're measurable, they're actionable. And, uh, you know, we did start with that, no doubt. And, uh, you know, I think then following up with, uh, you know, the, the actual stock controls, right? So instead of just looking at the metrics, we went in and we determined how long does it take to get an order in, you know, when you're talking stock replenishment, uh, you know, how many days transit. We have locations that are very rural uh, in their geographical locations, others that are in, you know, larger metropolitan areas. So determining all those types of things, uh, I feel like we're the, the biggest bites that had the biggest bang for the buck in regards to uh, order fill. 
So I, I know Amber, when you guys do this and in, when you and Cody did this, and Cody was talking about the fact that, that he's got a rural store versus a, a, a large metro area store. You guys use the term your reality, right? So something like that of, of what's the reality for that location. Um, is that what you guys are talking about here when you're you talk, talk about the reality of the stock control? And maybe you want to explain a little bit <clears throat> about what what that stock control situation and that definition is. So our listeners Absolutely. Know what you're um, about. Every store is located in a different place. Some are from my old stomping grounds, you know, in Southwest, Southeast Kansas. We have some smaller stores and um, sometimes we have larger stores in those big cities uh, that see higher traffic volumes and have more access to um, different supply chains. That being said, the stock controls for those stores will look very different. Um, how long does it take to get an order in Garden City, Kansas versus Dallas, Texas? Um, you're going to see a very different situation. You're also going to see a different demand. How often are you selling it each week, each month over the course of the year? You know, at what point do you need a reorder? Um, what is the safe level to have on your shelf? And then when should that reorder point hit? Stock controls in any DMS are really set up to help you um, leverage the data, leverage the demand to identify what the supply you should order is. Um, and so I always say you should learn the rules and play them better than anybody else. And that could change over time too. You know, what was true uh, uh, a year ago today is uh, very likely much different today, right? So those stock controls are something that are ever evolving. So, so how did you, it, it, I picture this as uh, Amber, the two of you, and maybe a small group from Cody working on this. How did you get buy-in from all the locations and, and spread this knowledge to all the locations? Uh, was it tough? Did you have, uh, some people that adapted quickly, others that took their time, or how did how did you leverage this? I know Bruckner has a lot of locations, and so you have a lot of different market types and so forth. How did you get to that point? You want to take that one, Cody? Yeah, I'll take it. So you know, through webinar and virtual means, uh, we did training on on how to identify and properly uh, categorize stock controls, depending on you know, where we're sourcing a particular item. Uh, Mark, the truth is, is uh, like with any project, you have early adopters and you have a few that you kind of have to drag to the party. Um, we have learned as a company, sometimes size has uh, multiple advantages, but when, when one location can see a win at yet another, then they're more apt to come to the table. When they can see that, uh, you know, store B has improved order fill, their their total cost of inventory has been reduced somewhat. The service managers not beating them up over quote unquote, you never have anything that I need, uh, then it's much easier <laughs> to bring those uh, to the table that, that were not necessarily an early adopter. So that comment was near and dear to my heart, oh. okay. Uh, a couple of times you mentioned the back parts counter, so I'm very in tune with that. Okay. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> Another thing I would mention too is, uh, uh, you know, that I don't know if it's a topic, but uh, lost sales have become uh, not only just a topic of discussion for us, but uh, uh, it's something that we measure. You know, we're looking for 
you know, an amount of lost sales per day per person uh, and trying to judge that because the truth is, how are you ever going to stock the right part if you don't lost sale the item and, and log the opportunity that was missed? So, uh, you know, I think that buy-in along with stock controls has become uh, paramount to, to increasing that back counter and front counter order fill. So I'm going to jump in here, Mark, real quick, if you don't mind, because Cody's brought up the two things that are kind of near and dear to my heart, which is this idea of the stock controls and the lost sales. But we have this other inventory management tool called vendor manage inventory, you know, that, that sits out here and suggests orders. So a lot of the response that, that I'll get when I bring up this idea of stock controls for the inventory that's controlled by the manufacturer and the, the, the response is don't need to worry about those manufacturers controlling those. So Cody and Amber, how did you guys, how did you address that stock controls versus the vendor managed inventory, the, the demand, i.e. lost sales versus the vendor managed inventory? How did you address that? Why did you address that? Uh, how do those things play into assisting the vendor managed inventory operate better? <laughs> we created stock that, controls huh? for them. Um, yeah. We, yeah, we, we double checked ourselves. Right. Something else yeah. to remember again, I'll say it six times control what you can control, understand the rules inside of your DMS and inside of your vendor managed inventory, and then play them better than anybody else. And you will always come out on top. Um, and vendor managed inventory is more robust than anything a human can put into place in the DMS. I advocate for it every time. However, the humans that are inputting data and keying those lost sales and inputting those stock controls are going to also control what that vendor managed inventory is picking up. And so making sure that your um, inventory is clean, that your stock controls are set up, that the daily track, which we haven't really gotten to yet, um, that we're looking at what's going in and out daily of our inventory and making sure it's accurate and accounted for. All of that just allows the vendor managed inventory to play even better and allows it to get even better data to supply you. Exactly. And now that you brought up the daily track, you know, that's one of the things that, that helps feed the vendor managed inventory, right? So, you know, uh, aged orders and, and you know, incorrect orders and stuff that we may have in our DMS, uh, that severely impacts the way that the, the BMIs actually put inventory on our shelf. So um, going through these daily exercises, actually touching multiple parameters in an inventory on this daily basis has even made that, that vendor managed inventory more robust for us, I believe. Great. Thanks, Cody. Thanks, Amber. So, so this sounds really, really interesting. Okay, what were some of the, you mentioned a reduction in obsolescence and, and, a, and a gain in fill rate. What were some of the other initial uh, successes or, or other successes that you saw as you moved Well, uh, after we'd worked on it, we saw, as I mentioned, four and a half points in fill rate, two and a half million in inventory reduction, um, about eight months, nine months in. And then we did another reiteration where we measured all aspects of the parts department again um, and again, reprioritized um, based on where the next largest opportunity was. Um, and we did find to Cody's point that while we made a lot of progress or Bruckner had made a lot of progress, correct my words, 
um, there was still opportunity there. There was still gold to be mined. Um, and so some of those late adopters, um, Cody had the thought to leverage some of the time he already had scheduled with parts managers to do some additional training. And we also tagged in a person, uh, another person from the key advisors team, Patrick Hazinga, who is an expert at building out reports to try to gather some of that data for the parts managers in a more efficient process. Meaning that he built reports inside of their DMS that would automatically show them, you know, new parts added yesterday, stock out parts, um, and just different pieces of inventory that are part of that daily reconciliation or that daily track. Um, so we save them a lot of time by building out those reports and creating those filters for them. Um, and then Cody was able to bring um, those late adopters along to the party. And we were able to improve another 7% over the last year on our fill rate. Yeah, yeah, 7 So uh, Amber, refresh my memory. How long have we been working with Bruckner on this project? Well, we started in October of 2020, Cody. Because okay. yes. the, the question then becomes, uh, and it's been pretty successful, uh, Cody certainly sounds like he's uh, a, a satisfied customer, but you know, uh, we, we live in a dynamic world. So, you know, the the uh, OEM vendor uh, programs are always going to be changing. Uh, pro, uh, DMS uh, providers are always going to be evolving, trying to come up with a better mousetrap to give Cody more tools to run his business. Uh, certain parts suppliers are coming in and going out. I mean, we live in a dynamic world and a lot's changing. So I guess my question would be, it sounds like we're in a pretty good place right now, but, uh, you know, help me understand the process that you and Bruckner go through to stay engaged and to stay connected so that this isn't a, an initiative that we make some really good, exciting success at, but then it kind of falls back uh, at the end of the project. Help, help me understand how, how we, what are we doing to go forward? Um, Cody, feel free to jump in. But I would say it's just that we so always check and adjust every quarter. So every quarter we go back and we measure um, what's the margin looking like across all of the stores What's that right-sized inventory looking like across all of the stores? Um, where's that fill rate at? And identifying the next largest opportunity to just keep moving forward. Yeah, and I, John, us as a dealer group too, you know, we're having to, to react to yeah. that dynamic <laughs> that yeah. you're talking about. You know, for example, our OEM just uh, informed us that uh, our stock order uh, frequency is still the same. Um, but, you know, we may be up to two weeks to actually having one ship, which is unheard of and has never happened in yeah. the past. So, you know, we recently went through a uh, exercise across the locations to adjust, uh, you know, the, the, the time to receive a stock order in there, to, which once again will work uh, to right-size the inventory. Yeah, it may increase inventory a little bit initially uh, just to get into that cadence. Okay. But, uh, but yeah, it has to be reactive and yeah. often. And, and Cody, you and you and Amber don't uh, interact once a quarter. You, you guys probably talk every week, or yeah, yeah, we're yeah. once a week. Yeah, we have standing meetings. Okay. Yeah. Hey, uh, Cody, if I could, I'd like to circle back. Uh, Mark had originally uh, raised the issue of thirty-five 
30 however many locations, right? And uh, and mm-hmm. your response in terms of process discipline and keeping all the other stores uh, kind of toeing the line and doing the right thing in terms of effectively managing their parts inventory is uh, there's a little mm-hmm. self-reliance on the competitive nature between people. But have there been other changes in your organization? Uh, you know, do, have we made any changes to our goal-setting process? Have we made any changes to, you know, our our reporting process and how we gauge the performance of the managers at each of those locations, uh, incentives, uh, are there other things that have gone along with the changes you've made here, maybe on the, on the human resource side of the equation to support your efforts on the system side of the equation? Yeah, absolutely. As, uh, you know, as a fairly large and, and uh, robust company, you know, we're always looking for process improvements, whether it's in training or, or you know, sales programs, things such as that. But, um, you know, our goal setting is uh, more now reactive to uh, the current market. Uh, we're looking for, you know, some pretty nice uh, goals to be thrown out that uh, are pretty good increases, right? So most OEMs, what are we going to agree here on this call? Three and a half to four percent every time a price tape comes out, those prices are going to increase. If that happens twice a year, that tells me that essentially, if I sell the same bucket of parts uh, next year than I sell this year, I ought to already have an eight percent increase in right. sales, right? So, you know, we're we're looking for people to be engaged in that goal setting to boil it down to a daily goal. Uh, and a per person goal. And, you know, there, there's financial incentive and reward uh, in place for that, as well as keeping on top of their inventory. Uh, we're heavily involved in cycle counting. Uh, that, that's our standard. Our standard is to count once a quarter, 100% every part. And, uh, you know, we're holding people responsible for that as well to make sure what we say we have, we do, in fact, have. Uh, thank you. That's a good answer. I appreciate that. What do you think, Keith? So I, you know, I got I've got just a, a question, Cody. That I think you and Amber did some of this, but and Amber, please chime in as well. Um, have you guys used this approach on any acquisitions as well? You know, in looking at the inventory and um, looking at at the at the performance of the parts department. Have you guys looked at the done this type of process on acquisitions when you've, when you've bought, bought locations, Cody? Yeah. Yeah, we have, um, you know, the, the acquisitions are, uh, sometimes difficult, uh, you know, you don't always have a hundred percent of the data that you would normally have in your own system. Uh, you have what you have, but, uh, uh Amber, I may look at you for, you know, maybe the input on, on how we have been able to utilize that and how it affects um, those locations after. Um, absolutely. So we, Bruckner was acquiring a couple of stores and um, we did the same five pieces of parts analysis on the stores prior to the acquisition. Um, and I know that um, Cody, you and uh, Chip were able to look over that data and understand as you acquired the stores, how that was going to play out and impact um, how they came into the Bruckner system. Yeah. And, you know, they can all take on a life of their own. Um, Once she's speaking of in specific, uh, there were other OEMs that had 
data uh, in their their current DMS provider that weren't part of the acquisition. So you know we had to slice and dice, but but having the the raw data that uh, Amber and, and her team was able to dissect for us, I think uh, you know helped us on day one to be more proactive okay. instead of reactive. Okay. So, you know, one of the things that, and you brought the, the term up, Cody, earlier, but this idea about being a good steward with, with Bruckner's investment and providing the resources to your team to do so. Can you give just, can you give me a little more, I guess, background, not background, but if I'm a, if I'm a parts manager for, for Bruckner's, um, you know, that idea of getting resources to help me do my job and, and do it better so that I'm a, a, a good steward of Bruckner's investment. Give me an idea how, you know, how this type of project, what you and Amber have been doing here, how does this help support me as, as that individual parts manager uh, to, to do what you yeah, want done? Great question. I think uh, probably the easiest way to say that is, you know, you don't know what you aren't aware of. And I feel like a lot of times uh, in talking to other people in the industry in similar roles, uh, that I have, they don't have all of the pieces of information. Um, a lot of times, you know, there are certain financial numbers. There's, uh, uh, there can be a lot of hidden things that could help them make better, smarter business decisions if they were put into their hands. Um, every piece of one of our parts department's financial makeup is available to that manager you know, where every dime is spent, whether it's, you know, inventory or supplies, uh, things such as that. We want them to be a steward, as, as I mentioned, uh, of that department and whole, just as they would in their own home, you know, where they are aware of expenses and, and how that workflows. Uh, we allow them to compare to uh, other locations as well. So, you know, not only can they see the, the nuts and bolts of their department, but they can also see it across our network. But we want them to have all the tools that they need to empower them to make the best decisions. You know, I would I would tag on to that. And Cody, I don't know how aware you are of it, but something that I've witnessed you've done in your leadership is you keep simple. When I hear you talk to your parts managers or even dialogue what the next steps are, you tend to focus on two to three items and really explain the whys to your team before you ask them to do something. And then, you know, in a quarter or three months when you ask them to maybe add another routine onto that, it always is tied in, well thought out um, as to how it's going to impact Bruckner, what it means for them and the gains they should see. And you always keep it simple, two to three items, two to three routines that you think will benefit them as well as Bruckner. I appreciate that about you, the way that you communicate and the way you share the whys with your team. It's something I've learned from you throughout this project. I don't know, Mark. This sounds a lot harder than service to me. Yeah. Yeah, we all know, as I always say, service is harder than parts. Anybody can sell a quarter fender, right, oh, Cody? I don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, uh, this has been very intriguing. For a service guy, it's been very intriguing. Obviously, uh, I focus all the time on fill rate on a back parts counter. Okay, and the and the total absorption. Uh, so, has this affected your service departments? Has there been any change, measurable change, or would you know that, or, or 
Is it something you measure? Oh, yeah. Yeah, back counter order fill, I think, is the easiest way to measure it. But I will quote one unnamed person at a smaller location. He called me, uh, I believe it was April of 2022, and uh, in his uh, very, very country vernacular at one of our smaller locations, he said, I don't know what you've done, but I don't have to order as much crap off the back counter for my trucks coming in and out of the service department. And, um, That's what we variable ops guys call parts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> that, hey, uh, Amber, no, Cody, uh, I think Mark said this. We've all learned a lot here today. Uh, sounds like a pretty successful engagement so far, but I guess that begs the question, uh, where do we go from here? What's next? Well, as I kind of mentioned earlier, uh, John, we are not a nonprofit. So, uh, you know, we're, we see the opportunity to uh, uh, look at our pricing structure. Um, you know, there are opportunities for uh, more gross. There's opportunities, I think, to reduce margin on some items that may be more market uh, uh, specific, market controlled, you know, some commoditized items. And, uh, you know, that is, I would say, our focus right now. Uh, Amber and I and, and team have uh, kind of identified different buckets of items that, uh, that we need to subclass. And uh, uh, that's the next project. And I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, some, some gross gains that uh, will definitely translate into some net gains. That's, uh, uh, that's what we yeah. spend. Does that boil down to show me the money? <laughs> yeah, okay. absolutely. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, we have that now, not only just uh, in, in a broad sense, but we have it in a very focused sense. Uh, we have uh, margin opportunities now broken out by customer, uh, you know, so that we can categorize their, their size, their location, their geographic region. Um, I, I see a huge opportunity here. It's going to take a little while. Uh, but, you know, we've got a plan in place. And as Amber said, we'll take off small chunks and uh, we'll, we'll follow my 1% rule and become that. Yeah, that's a great answer. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. Um, Cody, I, Amber made a comment earlier about about your leadership of, you know, of, of focusing on two or three things at a time and hammering those through. I know she as she and I talk about this project quite often, actually. That's probably probably the main comment I think that Amber makes is just how strong you are and how good you are at leading your team. So congratulations on that. That's that's outstanding. Well, thank you for saying that. But you know, it uh, there is no I in team, right? And uh, you know, it yeah. uh, uh, over time people become more engaged. Again, if we have you know these small little wins, when people see those, uh, when I can tell them, hey, your order fill went up two points over a, a quarter just because of you looking at your inventory, making some tweaks, it's a whole lot easier to sell to the organization. So there you go. Hey, Mark, any questions, any more questions that you got for, for our two special guests? No, he had me when he said the back counter, uh, fill rate increase. So he had me a hundred percent. Then The only thing you didn't ask about was delivering parts as well, Mark, but, uh, We'll let that one go to another day, I guess. One step at a time. There you go. Yeah, John, how about you? A lot of good success, and Cody, really appreciate your insight and thoughts, and Amber is always uh, your insight as well. So uh, I learned a lot here today. Thanks a lot, you guys. Yeah, 
Cody, Amber, anything else before we let you you guys go that you think our listeners uh, might like to learn, piece of advice, hey, don't do this type thing, anything else you'd like to, to uh, tell our listeners about? And i got to say that uh, the last uh, time period, 18 months or so, has been a huge challenge. Don't get caught up and uh, worry as little as possible about those hard-to-find items that you can't do anything about. Change the things that you have the ability to change and focus on those. That's that's mine. Great. Great. Thanks. Very, very good. Just thank you, Amber, Cody. Thanks for Amber, being here and sharing your story. You betcha. All right. All right. Well, thanks to Amber and Cody. They've they've left the building. So John, Mark, any uh any thoughts or comments before we call it a day on our on our reboot of the three wise truck guys? I've enjoyed it. How about y'all? I guess they don't. They didn't Whoopsie. like it. Sorry about that. <laughs> you know this this I'm y'all good. thing doesn't come naturally to me. Okay. <laughs> I've been in tech for three years now. I keep saying you guys, and they, uh, I ain't changing anybody's way of thinking down here. But I thought this was really a timely subject, and uh, really happy to be part of it. So uh, thanks. Uh, great to have the three wise truck guys back up on top of their horses and moving down the road. That's right. I, I think they're horses, John. We'll, we'll find out later on, I guess. But uh, um, so, well, thanks again to both of you. Just as a, uh, just for our listeners, Amber, I know you're still on with us. You brought up the parts health check. If you don't mind, could you give our listeners just a really quick overview of what that, uh, what that product is and, and how they might get in touch with you if they're interested? It's a measurement of every avenue of your parts department, your inventory performance, um, your pricing structure, um, the manpower inside of that pricing structure and how we're benefiting ourselves. It looks at your vendors and anywhere you might be buying a duplicate part from duplicate vendors, Um, even transfer opportunities between stores. Just a full measure of parts department performance. And then we sort of rack and stack based on our findings, um, what the largest opportunity would be to go after first. So when you deliver this to a customer, uh, first of all, two questions. What's required of the customer to make this happen? And what do you deliver to the customer when it's done? Um, We ask for uh, an inventory file, uh, 12-month sales by part number, and um, it's really a minimal time commitment on their part. And then we deliver back the gross opportunity that we find. I think you asked for some staffing levels and things like that too, don't you? Um, some headcounts. Yep. Some yeah, headcounts head of each role. Okay. Okay. How do they reach you if they want to talk to you? Amber at Key Advisors. All right. Dot com. All right. So Amber at Key Advisors there, listeners, you need to come back and ask her for some help on this. She's, she's outstanding and we appreciate her uh, sitting in with us. Mark, anything you want to tell me on the advisory side the, for customers real quick? Uh, based on the success of this, uh, Amber and I have worked closely together, and she's developed a very similar product for service department pricing or managing your build effective labor rate, depending on what DMS system you're on. That may have a couple different uh, names, but managing your pricing as well. Obviously, we continue to work on process and proficiency and gain loss percentage and 
um, efficiency of your front counter and so forth, okay? But uh, we're really excited about the new service pricing module as well. And I think, Mark, we're seeing some some really interesting results and um, data that we're getting out of some of the throughput work we're doing too. Um, I, I find that continuing to be really interesting about the impact of some of the um, software versus just defining your workflows and really making the workflows yeah, work. Yeah, it's really having a good workflow, having a good standard operating procedure, but then integrating whatever technology you're using into it. And today, all the OEs have different technology, whether it's uh, Assist or just Decisive or Packard Solutions or i360 or Uptime Pro and so forth. Don't make it a add-on double work for your frontline people integrated into your process. Very good. You know, we also offer a lot of educational opportunities. So if you need education and, and management uh, education on how to uh, be a better parts manager, how to be a better service manager, those basic fundamentals, certainly we, we offer that uh, all the way to our year-long emerging leaders uh, programs, which is a a deep dive in developing uh, those up and coming leaders for your for your team. So we uh, would like to help any of you out and please reach us at our uh, at our website at keyadvisors.com. John, Mark, anything before we go? Great, great, absolutely fantastic. I'm glad we rebooted this. Uh, I love working with you two guys. Uh, and and uh, Amber, great to have you aboard this time. Wonderful job, Amber. Keith, play offense, not defense. This is time to attack. There you go. There you go. go. It's always time to attack. Default aggressive, as one of my favorite people, people, Jocko Wilnick, would say. Default aggressive. So, well, until the next time, gents, thanks again. And, uh, Uh, This is the Three Wise Truck Guys, and we're out of here. Over and out. Thanks for listening to Three Wise Truck Guys, the podcast from Key Advisors. We'd love to hear from you. Send us feedback, comments, and questions to info at keyadvisors.com.